Welcome in, listeners. It's time for episode 131 of the Slump Buster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports, joined, of course, by Kyle Ledbetter. On today's episode, we talk about the 2022 MLB Hall of Fame class. We talk about Sean Payton's surprise retirement, and we talk about Aaron Rodgers' next place he will call home. But before we get into that episode, folks, I need you to smash that like button. I need you to hit that subscribe button. I need you to leave a five-star review if you're listening on Apple iTunes. And I need you to sit down, bust the slump, and enjoy the episode. Kyle Ledbetter, would you like to discuss the grand return, the shocking announcement, or start things off on a Debbie Downer angry note? Uh, I would like to first begin this podcast by uh, fully acknowledging here on the Slump Buster podcast. We did this on our post-game show, but I was right about the Titans. I told y'all I was right about the Titans. I would just like to get that out there in formal context. I was damn right about the Tennessee Titans. I told you they were the sixth best team in the AFC, and it might have been as low as eight going into next season once everyone gets healthy. Well, technically, they'll go down as the third best team, according to the official record books in the AFC. Yeah, sure, sure. We all saw Bills and Chiefs. We know those are the two best teams. Well, if quarterbacks win losses are a stat, then ah, forget about Josh Allen. He's he's the boss, right? Three and three in the playoffs. What a scrub. Uh, wins are not that? a quarterback stat. Wins are not a quarterback stat. How weird is it that Joe Burrow is now in the conference championship? Lamar Jackson can't even sniff it. Lamar Jackson's a better quarterback. I don't think it's weird at all. I think Joey franchise is the straw that stirs the drink or stirs the uh, skyline chili out there in Cincinnati. <laughs> Honestly, I gotta be, I gotta be honest to, I, I didn't know exactly where you were going at the beginning between the Debbie Downer and the shocking announcement. So I will I will defer to you on this to begin the podcast because I'm not exactly sure where you were going with the uh, the Debbie Downer one. Well, the Debbie Downer one is we can officially say that Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds will not be getting inducted into the 2022 oh. Hall of Fame class as we only have one Hall of Fame inductee this year, Big Poppy, David Ortiz. And as much as I would love to say that I am happy for David Ortiz, it just left me in a bummer mood because it's so hypocritical. I hate this current system that we have with the Hall of Fame voting. And yes, I have a personal horse in the race when it comes to Barry Bonds, but being a fan of the game, just I saw Barry Bonds play. I saw David Ortiz play. David Ortiz was phenomenal, but the stats even back it up that he was half the player that Barry Bonds was. As great of a hitter as he was, he was a designated hitter. He didn't play the field. Barry Bonds had eight gold gloves, seven MVPs, three times as many wins above replacement as David Ortiz three times I can make an argument he's three times the player that David Ortiz is and it sucks that I almost have to make it that David Ortiz got picked over Barry Bonds but seeing the one for one seeing them in the same Hall of Fame ballot and Barry Bonds trailing at 66% while David Ortiz on the first ballot gets 76% I think is a crying shame and that's kind of what I mean about being a Debbie Downer from the get-go here well no one I think is arguing that Barry Bonds career stats are worse than David Ortiz like we know the reason why Barry Bonds was didn't get into the hall of fame is because there were about a hundred or so baseball writers that said not on my watch for letting him in but that's the hypocrisy i'm talking about here because david ortiz and barry bonds have just as many failed ped tests in their career i know that there's some speculation as to how david ortiz positive result got out there but the fact is he did test positive back in the early 2000s and sports illustrated and another publication just happened to get their hands on the positive negative test there was 100 players in the early 2000s to test a positive. David Ortiz was one of them. And Barry Bonds, his positive tests didn't even come out until it met legislation. 
And this is the interesting part about this whole conversation, because think about this from my age. I was six years old when Barry Bonds broke the home run record. It's I remember watching it, but it was one of my earliest sports memories was watching Barry Bonds hit that home run in Giants Park against Washington. And that's the only memory I have of Barry Bonds as a baseball player. My entire context of Barry Bonds is shaped by every damn January. We have the same meaningless conversation about whether or not Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Sammy Sosa and Alex Rodriguez belong in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. The answer is yes. There is only one correct answer to this, and it's yes. It's people on their high horses with a moral authority, keeping certain people out while Pudge Rodriguez gets in the Hall of Fame. And Jose Canseco wrote in his book that he personally injected Pudge with steroids. And so this is a whole hypocrisy conversation. You are absolutely right about it. You are speaking my language. It is just so bewildering. And I just wish we could blow up the whole system. I, I don't know how we petition to get that done because shouldn't the Hall of Fame be for the fans? Shouldn't it be for the fans to immortalize these eight class players like Barry Bonds, like David Ortiz, like even Pudge Rodriguez? I just hate that it has like someone else's moral compass is the reason these guys aren't getting in because I, I saw a perfect tweet that basically encapsulates it. David Ortiz, great guy. Barry Bonds, kind of an asshole. Alex Rodriguez, kind of an asshole. Sammy Sosa, kind of an asshole. And those guys aren't in the Hall of Fame, but David Ortiz, because he was a more likable guy, he gets in. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I, I just need to hear someone try and explain a good argument why you can feel comfortable voting in David Ortiz or Pudge Rodriguez, but you're uncomfortable voting in Roger Clemens or Barry Bonds. That, that's the thing that I would just love for someone to explain to me and explain it to me like I'm five. Simple it down, dumb down language, and I would very much appreciate it. But the fact that we're not getting really any answers, and I've seen a few people that have BBWAA votes come out and say, this is crazy. I can't believe this. Some of my other fellow baseball writers got it wrong, but I don't see anyone commenting below the reason why. So those guys are just staying silent. They're the silent majority here that are preventing players that deserve being there and players that deserve being there before the speculation of steroids because Barry Bonds had over 400 home runs before the year 2000 when he was first linked to steroids. 400 home runs, at least even 10 years ago, was good enough to get you in the Hall of Fame. Not to mention the Gold Gloves, the Silver Slugger Awards, the MVPs. The baseball writers didn't have any problem giving Barry Bonds seven MVPs. They didn't have any problem selling papers in the late 90s when Sammy Sosa and McGuire were going at it head to head. But now when the bill is due, when it's time to pay up on all that work, all that ink, they're just left with a check that they can't sign. So here's the best piece of context that I can give you. And it's not great because this is a story that requires two hours of research and in-depth analysis to try and explain. But here's the best kind of explanation I can give for you. The Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens situation, they're two specific cases because they retired at the same time. But this includes Sammy Sosa as well, Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez. They're people who had lesser stats than Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens who are not even getting close to the Hall of Fame. The case for Bonds and Clemens was just that Barry Bonds is undisputed the greatest baseball player ever statistically and by awards and all the things we measure. And Roger Clemens is the greatest pitcher in the history of baseball. And those two guys have the steroid connection. So they embodied a whole generation of steroid guys, whether it be Alex Rodriguez, Sammy 
Sosa, Manny Ramirez, et cetera, down the line, who didn't even get close to getting in the Hall of Fame. When all of this first began, when Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were coming up for the Hall of Fame the very first time, the very first run they had, writers in baseball were all in unison that we were not going to let steroid people into the Hall of Fame. I believe Barry Bonds got somewhere around 30% of the vote his first time around. Roger Clemens was somewhere in the same range. It was unified that we were going to stand on a moral authority and, by the way, was extremely popular at the time because we weren't removed from the steroid area yet. The Balco investigation had happened like three years before. The Senate hearing was less than a decade old. A year after all of this began, you would have the, um, I forgot what the name of the South Florida clinic was, but uh, if you watch the documentary Screwball, it does a really good story telling this, but I remember the guy's name is Tony Bosch. I just can't remember what the name of the clinic is, but the clinic ends up leaking the names of all the people who are going to this clinic and you have Everett Cabrera, Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez, all their names come out. And by the way, in 2013, Alex Rodriguez got the largest suspension in the history of baseball over a PED suspension connected to biogenesis. That's what it was. The biogenesis clinic. Biogenesis happened while Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Sammy Sosa were first on the ballot. So all of this was still relevant. And that's now a decade ago. It's been a decade removed from the last gasp of steroids because steroids were done in baseball by this point. By 2008, 2006, it was being phased out of the culture of baseball. Baseball wasn't like the Tour de France where everyone was using it the way it was in the 90s and 2000s. It had been phased out. The people who got caught in biogenesis were people who were holdovers from the previous regime. And baseball started implementing a testing procedure and all of that stuff. And so those guys ended up getting busted. And now eight years later, we realized that we didn't ever really care. Like we got outraged and got on our high horses about steroids, but we didn't actually care about players using steroids. And for good reason, there's no reason that use of steroids and getting caught should prevent you from being a hall of famer when that's not exactly how steroids work. Steroids are not magic juice that automatically makes you a great player. That's not how steroids work. It just improves things like recovery time, doctors give out steroids two players in order to recover. Remember Andy Pettit? Andy Pettit got busted for steroids and cried at a press conference saying he was using it to help recover his bad back. Steroids are a great recovery method when they're not banned by the leagues themselves because they don't have a legislation tactic and because public relations says people want the illusion of a clean sport. People want the illusion that this is a merit-based game where players all are on the same playing field and they end up having success. It's why baseball was forced Once public opinion shifted on it, they were forced to attack the steroids thing. But in the 90s, everyone knew. I mean, I wasn't alive for it, but from what I've seen in documentaries and people talk about it, everyone knew Barry Bonds was on steroids. Why? Look at him. Look at how he went from the Pirates to the Giants. Everyone knew Mark McGuire and Stammy Sosa during the home run chase were probably on steroids. And baseball turned a blind eye because they were like, well, this is great for the game. Why would we want to bust this? Baseball's never been more popular coming out of the strike. Why would we want to stop this? And only once public opinion shifted and the Senate got involved and people thought that they were supposed to be outraged about steroids, did baseball pivot on this and say, as retribution, we're going to punish these handful of players 
years from getting into the Hall of Fame. The reason that it took 10 years is because once the precedent was set, enough writers were willing to say, we're going to stick to the precedent that was set because in a time and place in 2012 and 2013, we were still very moral about the whole steroids thing when we didn't need to be. It was just public opinion had shifted on steroids from don't tell, don't speak to this is an outrage of the highest proportion because Lance Armstrong lied during a Senate hearing and got everyone pissed off about steroids. And so that's why those guys don't get into the Hall of Fame on this ballot once it gets turned over to the Veterans Committee. Unless the Veterans Committee is also holding this begrudging stance from 2012, then those players will get into the Hall of Fame. My thing is also, where do you just draw the line? Because the line is ever shifting. Obviously, again, I hate to keep focusing on David Ortiz being in this, but David Ortiz first ballot gets in. Didn't even have to wait a year. If at the very least, if you're going to keep that moral stance, make him wait. You made Barry Bonds wait. You made Clemens wait. You're probably going to make A-Rod wait. Make David Ortiz wait. I know that it would be a punishment towards David Ortiz, but you punish the other guys, at least keep that same energy. And for other cheating scandals, because we also have Hall of Famers that have cheated in other ways that are currently in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, well, Pete Rose, different. Well, Pete Rose is not even in the Hall of Fame. I was thinking yeah. more about um, Gaylord Perry it was that threw the patent and spitball. We have guys mm-hmm. that were constantly stealing signs. We're going to once again have this discussion probably in 10 years when the Astros guys are up for the Hall of Fame. There was guys taking amphetamines, which is a banned substance now, but wasn't in the 70s. And whether they benefited from the performance boost of taking the amphetamines or not, that's a very subjective standard, but they're in the Hall of Fame. You could say there's a subjective standard for steroid use even because Marwin Bird, I remember he took steroids or got popped for steroids and the guy was ass. I think he hit under 200 in the year he got busted for steroids. <laughs> oh gosh. There's a fun player on the nineties Cleveland teams who I'm not going to remember his name because I don't know nineties baseball, but basically he hit his career high in home runs was like 12. And then his contract year, he hit 45 and then never hit more than 12 again. There's one guy like that. That's somewhere in there. And there's going to be other guys. There's going to be other outliers to just slip through the cracks and have these one-off seasons but with guys like Barry with guys like Clemens it's so obvious that they have the talent of a Hall of Famer because again Barry over 400 home runs before the year 2000 and then he does take steroids and he's hitting 70 plus bombs if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know look at this the splash hits record at AT AT&T Park Oracle Field whatever you want to call it I think it's up to 80 some home runs hit into the bay 70 of them are Barry Bonds (laughs) <laughs> 70 out of 80 and that that ballpark's been around for 20 years now there's some undisputable talent between these guys that just set them apart clemens to be able to dominate for multiple decades it's not easy to do especially when everyone else is juicing right you have all these other guys all these talented hitters i don't know if the hitters or the pitchers benefit more from when they take the juice but the hitters they're hitting 40 plus home runs a year and this guy is still keeping an era in the low twos Credit to him. Even when he was off the juice, he was still blowing that thing by hitters. Just a shame. It's frustrating. And like you said, now there's no use getting mad over it because it's out of the voters' hands. It's just onto the Veterans Committee. If it gets past the Veterans Committee, I don't know what baseball fans should do because baseball fans have also been saying the same thing about Pete Rose, trying to get petitions for Pete Rose for years. And obviously we haven't gotten any traction on him getting in. It probably won't until Rob Manfred's out because I believe Rob Manfred made a promise to Bud Selig that he wasn't going to let Pete Rose in. Yes, there there, there is an interesting case around 
this where um, Pete Rose, baseball is waiting for Pete Rose to die because all of the hypocrisies are out there. Like baseball is taking money from BetMGM as a corporate sponsor for Major League Baseball. All the hypocrisies are there. It's just Bud Selig was uh, willing to die on the mantle of I will not let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. And part of Rob Manfred's condition of commissionership was don't let Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame. So Bud Selig's going to have to die before Pete Rose for Pete Rose to have a chance of getting into the Hall of Fame. The the point to all of this that you brought up that I wanted to circle back to that I find really fascinating is the case study of the Houston Astros, because we're going to see the, the classic case of history. If you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat yourself. That's what it is. The exact same thing is going to happen with the Houston Astros, where people are going to get on their high horse about the cheaters, and they're going to try and deny people from the Hall of Fame. When I have said from the very beginning, when the punishments were first handed down, it was January of 2020. It was the day of the national championship in college football between LSU and Clemson. I remember this very fondly. From the day they said, Lunau, gone. Hinch, gone. But players get the immunity. This was all about public relations. It was baseball fans were outraged by the idea that a championship may have been swung by sign stealing when I'm not outraged at all that the Astros stole signs. This is now baseball having no enforcement mechanism for it. They exploited a loophole that baseball had no mechanism to enforce. Therefore, sign stealing should evolve to a point where baseball is using headsets like they do in football to communicate between a pitcher and uh, uh, someone on the bench. Like that's the way that it should ultimately evolve in the sport is that it shouldn't be you just try and punish the people who get caught, it should be you try to take an active approach to try and change the rules there. But I mean, it was more popular to be outraged at the Houston Astros for cheating. They did cheat. And some people, not everyone, are going to try and prevent Jose Altuve from getting in the Hall of Fame or hold it against Justin Verlander, but Justin Verlander is going to get in easily. Or, you know, Carlos Beltran's eligible next year. Are they going to hold this against Carlos Beltran when he gets to the Hall of Fame? It's going to be the exact same thing again, making the exact same mistakes that we all, I mean, not all agree, but most people agree now, it's really dumb that we're leaving steroid users out of the Hall of Fame. If you want to be like concise about it, say they have to wait 15 years instead of five years if you were caught with steroids as a way to delay the Hall of Fame thing. Yes. Objective standards. I need some objectivity in this. I almost want stuff that takes it out of these guys' hands, that takes it out of the writer's hands, even takes it off fans' hands. If we just had more objective standards for what gets you into the Hall of Fame versus what gets you out, if we're going to say if you're caught in any cheating scandal, then you're not allowed to be in, then fine. At least that's something. But we just can't have these areas of gray that keep being exposed yearly or when we just look back at the history of baseball. Well, even the cheating scandal rule is super subjective because again, the entire crux of the Houston Astros cheating scandal was everyone got outraged by the idea that the Astros stole signs in the playoffs. If that story had been out there before Jeff Passan and Ken Rosenthal picked it up, that story had been out there for six months nobody cared that Astros cheating scandal story. I read the, I read the book by Andy Martino on this idea was that Ken Rosenthal wrote the story in, in November of 2019 and baseball opened an investigation. That story was reported in January of 2019 and nobody cared that the Astros had cheated. It was only when Mike Fires was willing to put his name on it that people actually started caring about this issue. This is all a moral authority thing, and it should not be held against any of those players at all because 
because we don't actually care. This reminds me of the spider tack thing too last year. The fact that everyone got outraged and was baseball changed this, baseball fixed this, baseball changed and fixed it, and then everyone was still angry. I, I think this is probably just a self-hating baseball fan thing. I think that's <laughs> what it really comes down to, if we're being honest. I think this is America just, as a whole. I think self-hatred is America's national pastime now. <laughs> Baseball just basically needs some drama. And I guess this is the best thing we have from baseball. We haven't talked baseball in three months because baseball's on a lockout currently. And this is the introduction back to talking baseball headlines that we needed. Also, the thing that's interesting is it's very easy to do. Is he a cheater or is he not a cheater? It's very easy to have an opinion on that. It's much harder to have my old man voice. (laughs) You cheater, you damn kids. (laughs) With your spider tech and your steroids. When I was young, we took the greenies. We had a bowl of greenies in the locker room and we (laughs) took them and had my whiskey and my my cigars. I saw Babe Ruth play across the street. I was playing stickball with the kids in the street. You should have seen me. I was gonna I was gonna make a long elaborate point about the interworkings of labor politics and unionization standards but I think you're 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 that was a better cap on this podcast nothing I <laughs> nothing I can say nothing I can say about uh interwoven dynamics of union and management politics in America uh, would be better than you doing old man impersonation of a guy ripping Why a heater before Why don't you take those commie unions and keep them out of my stickball <laughs> See, I can't top that. I no no amount of deep nuanced conversation. And you know what? America agrees. This is a perfect point right here. What do people care more about? Deep conversation about the workings of uh, labor unions and the decline of unions in America over the past 50 years? Or do they want to hear a guy do an impersonation of a guy ripping a heater before playing baseball in the 1940s after coming back from World War II? Where's my big chief tobacco? <laughs> and then an American spirit. He needs an American spirit too. I can do I can do old timey broadcaster for that. We welcome you to the 1951 World Series between the New York Giants and the Boston Red Sox. I don't think the Boston Red Sox were good back then, but welcome to the 1951 World Series with no lockouts. Why? Because there were no unions. Players had no rights. They had to go work as plumbers. There were no unions. No unions allowed. We are pro management here in the 1950s. A bunch of pansies. <laughs> See, that's better than talking about what's better talking about the lockout for 10 minutes or that that that's much better content. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I really loved your announcer voice. I really loved it. I would say the Red Sox had their moments. They just never won the World Series. They had their moments when they were good in the 50s, 60s. I think Ted Williams had some great years for yeah. them, obviously. How uh, about the, I could do the shot heard round the world. How about the shot heard round the world? Uh, the New it. York Giants versus the, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, this is a great one to call because 1961, the shot heard round the world. The greatest hit in the history of baseball, which by the way, the guy cheated doing it because he had a a telescope in the outfield that told him exactly what the pitch was going to be. The greatest hit in the history of baseball. Also a cheating scandal. People don't talk about it. They celebrate the greatest hit in the history of baseball. No, that was the cheating scandal of their time. Nobody gives a shit about it because we don't actually care about moral authorities in sports. The Houston Astros should all make the Hall of Fame as one of the great dynasties in the history of Major League Baseball. Five years, five consecutive American League championships, a World Series victory, two World Series appearances within five years. Yes, the Houston Astros Astros, one of the great dynasties ever, and I don't give a shit if they cheated or not. Congratulations to the 2018 world champion, no, 2017 world champion, Houston Astros. Back in my day, we had the telescopes. 
And we didn't have any of these fancy drones. They're going to have drones one day. That's going to happen, right? Eventually, eventually drones will be so small, like military drones will be so small that they can like circle right above the mound and be able to see it. That'd be a great one. But this is again, this is why we need the, we, we need the wristwatches. We need the headsets. So pitchers, pitchers don't communicate with catchers, put a headset in the catcher's head, put a headset in the pitcher's head. And then if you want to change the pitch, then you use the hand signals, but put headsets in both and let like the NFL, let a coach call the plays and you can change the pitches down below. Now, will that make the game slightly longer? Yes. And that's not what baseball wants, but better than just trying to punish the cheaters and ignoring the problem. If you ask me, it's just those pansies like to paint the fingernails when they put down the old one too. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, let's cap that statement. That, that, that's over. I'm over it. We'll just worry about it in 20 years when the Veterans Committee gets to it. Let's talk about some other stuff. You, you also mentioned that you were wondering what my shocking announcement or the grand return is. I think I know what that one is. (laughs) Let's just jump real quick into some NBA headlines. Let's talk about the grand return I'm talking about. Anthony Davis, street clothes, is officially back on the court, out there for a win over the Brooklyn Nets last night. And he was okay, 20 minutes. I think I saw he had eight points late in the fourth quarter. Not exactly ideal from a guy that you'd want to be your Robin to your Batman of LeBron. Not impressed with Anthony Davis, even when he has played this season. And you're not impressed with Anthony Davis or the Lakers right now because this is the first Pelo rankings update where you have the Lakers outside of your top 10. Does this mean that you have officially given up on the Lakers as a championship contender? Oh, no. The, oh, as a championship. Oh, that's a, that's a good question. That's one that I've had trouble pondering over the past few weeks is the Lakers as a championship contender. The Lakers, when healthy, are still maybe the second best team in the Western Conference, but uh, this is not a popular opinion to have right now because even when the Lakers have been healthy, it hasn't exactly worked. They're going to have to retool the roster this offseason. They're not good enough to, to beat the Warriors. They're not good. They might be good enough to beat the Suns if the Suns lose a player to injury. Yeah. But the reason they're 12 right now is because this is the one chance you're going to have to do it because the Lakers get Anthony Davis and LeBron back and they'll maybe catch the Mavericks. They'll maybe catch the Nuggets. They're a better team than the Nuggets at this point. This was just a week where I was like, eh. Why not? Mavericks did really well. Nuggets did really well. Memphis has had like four straight weeks of winning basketball. So shout out to Memphis. I don't know what to do with them at this point. Can we talk about the Memphis Grizzlies a little bit? I I know we started off talking about the Lakers, but I got to give some love to Memphis because I really want to see Jaw at the end of this month. I was looking at games in the nearby Texas area and Jaw's coming to San Antonio here in about 30 days. I'm I'm bookmarking that one. I got to see this young man play because John Morant is becoming one of the most exciting players in basketball he's getting it done offensively he's getting it done defensively I think he brings a mentality to the Grizzlies the old grit and grind Grizzlies he's brought that mentality it's kind of similar to Joe Burrow what he brings to the Bengals that's why I feel like Jaw brings to the Grizzlies Memphis is following the classic arc of an NBA team that drafted a generational star because usually when you draft a generational star your team's really bad sometimes you have the worst record in the league and you get the first pick in the case of Memphis if I remember correctly I think that year Memphis had the fourth worst record in the league and then they happened to get number two in the lottery I might be wrong a little bit but they jumped a little bit in the lottery that year so they weren't starting from we are one of the worst teams in the NBA when they got John Morant but they follow the classic arc of teams that draft a generational talent which is first year we made it to the play-in game we lost the play-in game to the Blazers but we were the ninth best team in the west because we have this young generational rookie of the year star the next year we got to the play-in game again 
relatively same team, but this time we won the play-in game. We beat the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and then we've got a first round series and we got smacked by the Utah Jazz who didn't have Mike Conley. So we got to a playoff series this year. Maybe we'll win a couple games in a playoff series. We'll go to six, seven games against a Phoenix Suns or against a Dallas Mavericks. Actually, that'd be a great first round. Series. I kind of want to watch Memphis play Dallas now in the first round. You know, we'll get to that point, but we'll probably lose the series. We're still, you know, we're not as good as Phoenix. We're not as good as Golden State. Luka is probably better than John ja Morant, just purely from a talent standpoint, but Memphis may have better depth. You know, they're, Luka's a little more developed. Luka's better player, so maybe they'll lose that series, but they'll get, they'll be competitive in a playoff series. And then they'll add a player who's a better two than Dylan Brooks, or they'll trade Jaron Jackson to get a player better than Jaron Jackson who wants to play with John ja Morant, or they'll sign someone in free agency, and then they'll take a step and win a playoff series. And maybe they'll win another playoff series. And maybe in three years, the Memphis Grizzlies will be one of the best teams in the Western Conference. They are following a classic arc of success for teams that draft a generational talent, which John ja Morant is definitely that. He's not as good as Luka. I mean, I think Zion's a better player, but Zion hasn't really been on the court at this point. Yeah. John ja Morant's wanna... right there in that generation with Trey Young. I want to ask you a question on that. If you had to bet all your money today, who's going to have the better rest of their career from this point forward? Is it going to be Ja or is it going to be Zion? If Zion Williamson plays Zion Williamson, if Zion Williamson has chronic injuries, that changes the math. But if you can give me fully healthy Zion Williamson who has surgery and you know, he's recovered in his knees. He's not overweight because we don't know whether he's overweight or not. Uh, Zion Williamson started in the all-star game at 20 years old. So Zion Williamson is that dude. Like Zion Williamson can do all of the John Morant things and also be 280 pounds. This generation looks like it's going to be the Luca Zion generation, the way that the generation right before is the Giannis generation. And then there's other great players like Jokic, MVP, might win two MVPs this year. Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, amazing, great players of their era. Devin Booker, great player in this era. But they're not as good as Giannis. And that's because Giannis is six foot 11 and can Euro step from the three-point line and dunk basketballs. Like, there's no shame in not being as good as Giannis. So Zion, if you can guarantee me health, is better than John Morant. It's not by much. Like, this generation looks like, I mean, again, they're very young, so we're not 100% sure, but it looks like Luca and Zion will be competing for championships through the back half of the 2020s. Trey Young will maybe win an MVP. John Morant will maybe win an MVP. LaMelo's going to be very good, like perennial all-star. That kind of looks like what this generation is shaping up to be. It's a little early for a lot of that stuff because, you know, anything can happen here. Evan Mobley looks awesome. He could be a perennial all-star. Jalen Green is awesome for the Houston Rockets, but I don't think any of those guys are as good as the players we're talking about here. And honestly, sooner or later, it's going to start a new generation. Once, once this generation starts having actual success, we'll start a new one with Imani Bates or Mikey Williams or whoever else is coming up through the high school ranks who we'll find out later. So I would say a long way to answer your question, Zion, but it's not by much. It's like asking uh, Jokic versus Anthony Davis. It's like both are very, very good. One might be better than the other. And it's hard to decide which one is which, because sometimes it'll look like jaw and sometimes it'll look like Zion. But uh, yeah. if you promise me health, I'll go Zion. That's just the podcaster instinct. 
think the ability to kind of extend a simple question into a longer question. And that's why you're as good as you are. Flowers to Kyle Ledbetter here. Kyle, though, you do have the Nets at three. That is a big change in your rankings because you finally pushed them up to the number one spot after trailing against the Warriors, after trailing against the Suns. They were finally number one in your last rankings update. Now they're three again. This, I assume, is strictly tied to the injury of Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant's going to be out for another four to six weeks. How far can the Nets fall if it's one and a half James Harden? (laughs) As much as uh, you just complimented me for my nuanced takes than being able to draw out things and put things in perspective of a larger conversation. And one of the things I always try to do with podcasts is say things that are not obvious. That's something I really try and focus on is if I can't say something that's not the obvious thing, I don't want to talk about it on my podcast. Take it easy, which you can check out everywhere you get podcasts. Uh, And I try to bring that same energy here to the Slump Buster podcast. I say this to say, yeah, it's just because Kevin Durant got hurt and uh, they will probably not fall any farther than three because the only team that could probably move ahead of them is Milwaukee and Milwaukee's been all right recently. They lost to Orlando a couple weeks ago. That was a weird one. But yeah, they'll probably be three. It's just because Kevin Durant got hurt. That's the only reason. Not even the Heat or the Bulls if they really struggle while Harden's at. Just the only Uh, one standing. Not the Bulls, but Miami. I give Miami props. Miami could definitely do some damage because Miami's this weird team that breaks the rules of convention in the NBA because they're one of the few teams that you, in a sport where Frank Vogel's about to get fired because, you know, coaches are totally disposable in the NBA. Doc Rivers gets fired by the Clippers after one, you know, another bad playoff loss and all of that. In a sport where coaches are totally disposable and it's so centric on their stars, the Heat are one of the few teams you can point to and say their front office gives them an advantage because they've been doing it for so long and they've been developing players well for so long that they have a knowledge base that reminds me of like, I mean, not going to say exactly Belichick in the NBA, but they have a wagon of sorts. They're great at developing players and they're doing it smarter than everyone else. Tyler Hero was the 13th pick in the draft. They had a concerted plan for Tyler Hero. They developed him into a very, very good player. Bam Adebayo, 14th pick in the draft. They just drafted him because he has a ridiculously great skill set. The debate in the draft was, is he a true four? Is he a true five? They said, whatever you want to play best, whatever you think you play best, you do that, Bam Adebayo. If you're going to play five, bulk up. If you're going to play four, we're cool with it. We'll put the ball in your hands sometimes. You'll run the offense. Duncan Robinson, undrafted guy. They turned him into baby Clay Thompson, as people like to call him. And then they happened to get Jimmy Butler, a very good player, but not someone anyone regards as anything more than a perennial all-star. Jimmy Butler, very good, but not a great player by any stretch of the imagination. So Eric Spolstra, Andy Ellisberg, Pat Riley, that brain trust for the Heat, they give me some vibes that they can give that team an advantage that we're not looking at on the court. Because I look at that team normally. I'm like, if Jimmy Butler's your best player, as great as your next four best players are, which Miami's next four best players are really good. Like having Jimmy, Bam, Kyle Lowry, and Tyler Hero, very few teams can say they have four of the best 50 players in the NBA on their team. You know, the teams at the top winning championships are the only other teams that can really say that. The fact that they have that is good, but I think they'll ultimately come up short because of that. But I'm not, I mean, two years ago, they made it through the bubble and got to the finals and by beating the Milwaukee Bucks, 
I still think the Bucks would have came back in that series if Giannis hadn't gotten hurt at the beginning of game three when they were down 0-2. But even still, Miami has more of a chance than Chicago. That's what I will say. Miami has more of a chance of being that weird team than Chicago does. They would need either Kevin Durant or Giannis to remain injured to beat them in a seven-game series. But I do think that the Miami Heat are a weird exception to this rule. We kind of jumped around. We jumped off the Lakers. And I sent you a report that kind of got a little bit of a chuckle from you. But I I feel as though (laughs) might as well just mention it on this podcast because maybe some Philadelphia sports fans might have a little bit of hope of this happening. A anonymous Western Conference front office executive said the following. Keep an eye on the Lakers. Jumpstarting a rebuild. Jeannie and Kurt Rambis aren't particularly enamored with paying a soon-to-be 38-year-old 40 million. There is real traction of a Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Joel Embiid, big three forming in Philly, and there's mutual interest from all sides. Now, obviously, I kind of wonder who that anonymous Western Conference general manager is or front office executive is. Uh, The second part of that, wow, this just sounds like a fantasy world. The biggest big three that you could put out there, the outstanding defensive prowess of Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, just in general in his kingliness, and then Joel Embiid, who over the last 10 games has been pretty much have you seen Joel Embiid's stat lines? They're pretty much 30, 30, 40, 30, 30, 40. The guy is just playing insane. He should be the MVP favorite in my mind, based off those recent performances, especially with all the Ben Simmons stuff. Cowper facts. <laughs> is there any chance of this happening? I know this is an audio medium, so people can't see my face right now, but no. No, um, no, this, this is one of those reports that you get an anonymous quote from someone who I, there's no, there's no evidence grounded in any of this. This is just a person saying, well, maybe the Lakers want to jumpstart a rebuild. So they're going to trade LeBron James to start a rebuild. It's like, well, that's a possibility. Yes, it is a possibility. It is a conceivable thought that it is a thing that can happen. It's not going to happen uh, under any circumstances. The Kawhi Leonard one is a more fun conversation to have about him just not wanting to be on the Clippers anymore because I assumed he was going to leave in free agency this offseason. Uh, he did not do that. Hashtag Kawaii Beach for all of the Miami Heat fans that started that on Twitter last year. But no, uh, the, the Kawhi Leonard one's more interesting to have a conversation about because the Clippers are kind of dead. I know they came back from 35 points down yesterday, which is fun, but the Clippers, as we know it from that team they tried to build are kind of toast. They've used all their resources at this point. They're going to have to trade Paul George at some point because Paul George can't be the second best player on a team that wins a championship uh he couldn't before the fact now that he's getting injured and into his 30s is not going to happen when lebron james signed his four-year extension last offseason i want to say i think it was last offseason he signed his four-year extension uh that's lebron james saying i don't really care about winning championships anymore i'm going to be hollywood mogul i'm going to play for the lakers my career ends with the lakers that's kind of where it's at it's more of a lifestyle choice for lebron if lebron is single-handedly good enough to carry a team to a championship still cool he can do that um anthony davis is a great second player to have but this is just this is lebron's gonna outlast anthony davis with the lakers lebron's gonna be there for the entire time with the lakers and yeah that's kind of that's kind of gonna be how it ends lebron's gonna find a new running mate in a couple of years after anthony davis or davis and him will just kind of ride it out losing in conference championships for the next three or four years that's gonna be the core of that team for the most part i did have a little fun with that one lebron i know Philly was his second choice when he was a free agent a couple years ago and ended up ultimately choosing the Lakers. 
years. I think the idea of playing with Joel Embiid is something that does appeal to LeBron. And if we were just to compare Joel and Anthony Davis today, it's clear that Joel is the better player. And I would rather play on a team with Joel Embiid over Anthony Davis, given both have health concerns, but Joel has been able to overcome that a little bit more. And I think the upside of Joel offensively is more appealing than what I've seen from Anthony Davis. Different strokes for different folks, but I prefer Joel Embiid over AD. And then Kawhi, I know, was rumored when the Lakers were building their big three to potentially sign there. Yamas had an Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard big three. So it's fun to dream. It's fun to play these little 2K algorithms together. Um, they, they can't even make that- the trade happen anyways. They can't even get those guys because they can't even make such a trade. You can't get both of those players. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, you know, just see what I'm saying. Can't, you love LeBron James. Let me trade you the young LeBron James. Ben Simmons, am I right? Come on yes Genie, no let's Kurt do that Rambis. and then y- you know you want the younger version of LeBron no you're James. right let's do that and then you know what we're gonna do after that we're gonna trade Kawhi Leonard for the young Kawhi Leonard aka Tobias Harris that's how we're gonna get Kawhi Leonard is by trading Tobias Harris and Matisse Thibel that's how the Clippers are gonna say yes to a Kawhi Leonard trade are you doubting Daryl Morey and his ability to will and deal he can make this happen Daryl Morey no. made magic out of nothing. Of course, it's always topped out at a conference championship level and never an NBA finals appearance. But Daryl Morey, don't sleep on the analytics genius to make this thing happen here. No, no. LeBron James is never leaving the Lakers. Not in the next five years. LeBron James is ending his career with the Lakers. It's going to be a lot of first round exits at the very, very end. But right now, LeBron James is averaging like 30 points a game. So they can still win that way. It's just once that declines, the Lakers are going to keep declining. I know how to make this happen. Daryl Morey, you have to set it up in a way that Joel is injured the year before Bronny James is ready to enter the draft. Tank for Bronny. Tank for Bronny. Let's get that hashtag going out there in Philly. Uh, that is the surest way to get LeBron James on your team here in the next couple of years. They're not going to even need to do that because Bronny ain't going to be a ain't going to be a lottery pick. Sorry to Bronny, but he's he, he's going to probably be a, a a second round ish. I know he's only in high school, so it's early right now. But Bronny is not a, a five star recruit, so not saying it's going to be that difficult to get Bronny James on your team. And what does that say about the seed of LeBron James versus the seed of LeVar Ball? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Michael Jordan's kids hated basketball. So I think it's just people will gravitate towards the things that the universe is meant for them to do. Or in the case of Bronny, your dad kind of pushed you towards basketball. And the fact that LeBron has been very open in saying, I want my kid to play with me in the NBA. I think that's kind of putting a lot of pressure on a kid who likes to smoke weed on IG live every now and then. You know what? It's fine. But yeah, I don't think I don't think it's gonna be that difficult for people to get Bronny. But that is LeBron's fault. He let him hang around JR Smith. He kept acquiring J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith is going to influence your kids at some point. Oh, well, I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. Like 16 year old kids smoke weed whatever it happens uh it's just when you're lebron james jr everyone is gonna make fun of you for it and I, that well that's why he goes by brawny for that reason like it's it's to try and not be lebron james jr but at the same time probably not gonna be an nba star but yeah. if if a team leverages we can get lebron james in his mid-40s if, if we take his kid i think people people have done more for less i know thanasis is still hanging out on the bucks so people have done more for less in order to get a star player on their team is that how cleveland gets him back is that their secret plan third time around lebron 
the mistake by the lake, Cleveland, Ohio, drop on by. Yeah, but so LeBron nice, will be you've already left it twice. That's a good joke. I don't know if you stole that one, but that's a, that's Probably a good joke there. I think it's actually coming from some Cincinnati folks I've hung around with. Fair enough. Uh, I think LeBron will sell Anthony Davis before he uh, sells his son out. And that's why the Lakers are not great because LeBron James is the GM of the Los Angeles Lakers. And similarly to Cleveland, he got all of his friends extensions. They ended up not playing as well. He left. Uh, He got all of his friends extensions with the Lakers. They got Russell Westbrook and it's not going so great anymore. They did win a championship with it because LeBron James is supremely excellent, Mm -hmm. but it's not, not working out great. You know, first year together when they had all their cap space, all their picks, it worked out. They also benefited from the Clippers choking in the playoffs. But I think the Clippers still would have beat the Lakers in the bubble that year. But the point is they got their title. They got the title in Cleveland. This is the LeBron James career arc. It is not a great general manager, but because he has all the power in that organization, he gets to make the call on when he stays and when he goes. And they're, yeah, they're out of resources, but you know, maybe, maybe another star player will decide they want to play with LeBron James into his forties. But if not, Anthony Davis signed up for five years. So you guys can hang out together and, you know, have taco Tuesday parties and get bounced in the second round for the next few years as Anthony Davis tries to keep his body together. Well, 76ers fans are photoshopped shopping LeBron James into their uniforms. Dallas Cowboy fans have been doing that for years when it comes to Sean Payton. And Sean Payton has retired, with quotation marks around retired, from the New Orleans Saints, from the head coaching profession. He's probably going to go into broadcasting for a year. But Kyle Ledbetter, to keep this segment going, cap or facts that Sean Payton will be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys after Mike McCarthy. Uh, I want it to be the Cardinals. I've been, I started that two weeks ago that the Cardinals should right now trade for Sean Payton, like call the saints and trade for Sean Payton. But I don't think that's going to happen at this point. I've heard some reports that say he's under contract for one year and some that say he's under contract for three years. So I think regardless, someone will have to trade for Sean Payton, but it's not like it's that big of a deal when Sean Payton retires, his value goes way down. So like the saints will maybe get like a sixth round pick for him. If anyone does want to hire Sean Payton down the road, but Sean Payton probably stays retired. That would be my guess. And he probably doesn't become the next coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I would say he will only leave for the perfect job. Like he, unless, unless money, I mean, money could always swing things and he goes to coach a terrible team that's willing to pay him a lot of money. But I I think Sean Payton waits for the perfect job. Is Dallas that possibly, but I would say no, Sean Payton will not be the next coach of the Dallas Cowboys to answer your question directly. But he lives in Dallas. His kids go to school in Dallas. He vacations in Dallas. Isn't it just meant to be? He was part of the Bill Parcells coaching tree that took place in Dallas. In fact, the Cowboys may have been better off firing Bill Parcells and hiring Sean Payton instead of hiring Wade Phillips. Would they have already had a Super Bowl had that hiring have happened? What do you think? Does Des Bryant catch that pass? <laughs> well, we have to assume the play calling might be different. So who knows if it's going to be that exact play call. Butterfly well, effects, man. Butterfly effects. The reason I ask is because it would have been that year. That would have been the year that they they did it. They would have won the championship that year. Uh, the Dak and Zeke team, that was the one seed that were rookie year, which by the way, now six years ago, six years ago was the Dak and Zeke team that was the number one seed. I found that incredible the other day, but it would have been the Des caught it year uh, if they're going to win one. In, in terms of the Sean Payton thing, if he does come,
come back. Basically, the, the, let's operate under the assumption Sean Payton would only leave to take a job that has an elite quarterback. Let's say he would only leave retirement to take a really, really good job. He's not going to coach the Dolphins or the Bears or the Raiders sometime in the future. Let's assume that only teams with elite quarterbacks are teams Sean Payton would go for. So Chiefs are not firing their coach. Ravens are not firing their coach. Bills are not firing their coach. Packers are not in the market for this game because we don't know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Tampa's not going to fire Bruce Arians. Uh, for the meantime, Bengals aren't going to fire Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor's bought himself a couple, even though I'd fire Zach Taylor tomorrow to get Sean Payton. And they're not going to fire Zach Taylor. So that leaves just the Cardinals, Chargers, and the Cowboys, all of whom's teams are unhappy with their current coaching situation. And if you're giving me those three options and I'm Sean Payton, I'm taking the Cardinals and Chargers before I take the Dallas Cowboys. And that has just to do with how good the quarterbacks are, how good the cap space situation is, and how much power and control I would have within the organization. It must be kind of rough to work for Jerry Jones, not just because of Jerry Jones, but also the fact that they call all of the shots within the organization. They're the general manager. They are the president of the team. When I say they, I mean him and Stephen Jones. Obviously the owner, he does press conferences after games. He gets accused of having shadow coaches with Jason Garrett and Mike McCarthy, even though I don't even know how that would work in terms of the concept of having a shadow coach. You don't think he's out there drawing up the play calls. You'd run a shallow slant. You run too wide safety, yada, yada. Oh, Jerry Jones, they're, no, they're credible reports. Jerry Jones has called plays before. I don't remember what year it was, but there are credible reports that Jerry Jones has called plays for the Cowboys before. To the credit of Jerry and Steven, they have talent on the roster. That has been the one thing that has been talked about repeatedly about the Cowboys and why it's always brought up when they underperform, when they get bounced in the first round, when they get bounced prior to the championship round. It's, man, you have CD. Man, you have Amari, Micah Parsons, that offensive line, Zeke in his prime. How are you not winning more games? And I think the simplest answer is average to below average head coaching from Jason Garrett and Mike McCarthy. Obviously, Mike McCarthy, his coaching caused a skirmish in Green Bay that led to him and a Hall of Fame quarterback eventually parting ways, which means Mike McCarthy is great when he has a Hall of Fame quarterback, but that's not what Dak is. But I can't say the shot. Payton is a Hall of Fame offensive mind. He's a Hall of Fame head coach. He's an A-plus head coach. If you put him with at least a B talent like Dak Prescott, maybe that's the best way to maximize that team. I mean, we see that with the Niners, where a lot of people consider Kyle Shanahan a head coach. And they see Jimmy Garoppolo as a B to a C minus type quarterback. And he's obviously able to elevate the Niners to win games. If the Cowboys just had that stabilizing force at their head coaching position, can't they do the same? Can't they match some of these teams in the NFC, especially because they have a quarterback that, well, I will say isn't an elite talent. I think he's a good talent. I think, I just don't think he's an elite talent. He is good enough to win games. If you build the offense around him to best utilize his skill set and Sean had to do that with a quarterback that couldn't throw 50 yards downfield for multiple years for over a decade in Drew Brees. Drew Brees and Dak Prescott are very similar in a lot of respects. I don't know if Dak necessarily has Drew Brees' pinpoint accuracy but in terms of mental preparation in terms of the arm talents they do have I think Drew and Dak are very similar. I would also just say that Dak is maybe a little bit more athletic than Drew although there have been moments in Drew there's been moments in Drew's career 
there where he's gotten it outside of the pocket and he's impressed me. I will give Drew that much. Calling Drew Brees and Dak Prescott the same type of athlete is an insult to athletes everywhere because Dak Prescott is one of the most amazing physical specimens that exists in the sport right now. For context, before I make my point here about what it would take for the Cowboys to get over the hump, which is a a grand old question that has been asked across the eons of Jerry Jones ever since he fired uh, Jimmy Johnson and hasn't been successful since. Do you, Juju Talk Sports of the Slump Buster podcast and Slump Buster YouTube channels, do you think Kirk Cousins is better than Dak Prescott? Oh boy, that's a tough one. That's a toughie. I think he is. I I think he is ever so slightly, but I do think that they are definitely in the same tier. I think the big problem with Dak, how he's talked about and how he's paid should say that he is closer to Patrick Mahomes than he is to Kirk Cousins. Do you think Matthew Stafford is better than Dak Prescott? That one I I battle with because I'm only getting this one-year sample size of Matthew Stafford outside of Detroit. Do you think that Russell Wilson is better than Dak Prescott? Yes, that's the only one I can say for sure, yes, absolutely. Do you think Kyler Murray is better than Dak Prescott? Yes. Do you think Justin Herbert is better than Dak Prescott? Yes. Okay, that tells me exactly where you stand on the Dak Prescott thing, which is slightly lower on him than I am. So I always do quarterback tiers every year. My tier two is basically Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott. There's one more I'm forgetting in there, but I can't remember who it is right now. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. I kind of see what direction you're going with. I would say, though, I do like the Cowboys roster as a whole more than I like the Cardinals roster and more than I like the Chargers roster. So my point to this is having a tier two quarterback in the NFL, which as I listed kind of quickly off the top of the head, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Tom Brady's also in this group, but Tom Brady's kind of his own category because Tom Brady's very confusing as a quarterback. I'd put Tom Brady as like two and a half. Tom Brady kind of operates on his own rules, but say Tom Brady's in this mix just for the sake of the conversation. Having that guy is good enough to get you in the playoff conversation in a weak NFC East, win the division every single year because no one else in the division has a strong quarterback or a strong quarterback type equivalent. So the Dallas Cowboys, even though they were the three seed this year, were really the fourth seed in the NFC and lost a wild card game against a very good, now we know, 49ers team. You ask the question, what do the Cowboys need to succeed? The Cowboys have been quite successful relative to the standards of the NFL of when you look at, I mean, yeah, they've won three playoff games in the last 20 years or whatever it is. But when you look at teams in the AFC, there's like eight teams that didn't win a playoff game for 15 years in the AFC. And so you said the Dallas Cowboys have very talented players. I mean, you could list Zeke Elliott, even though he's getting older, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Micah Parsons, Leighton Vander Esch, two Hall of Fame offensive linemen, Tyron Smith and Zach Martin, Trayvon Diggs, throw him in the mix too. So now the way the Cowboys get over the hump is instead of just having great players, you have great players and cap space. That is the way that you get over the hump when you are in the position of the Dallas Cowboys. It's like, how do the Cowboys get better. They have great players. Now you need great players and you need cap space. The great key for the San Francisco 49ers were the great exception of the last five to 10 years of being great while having a piss poor to average quarterback is the 49ers 
got the best defense assembled on rookie contracts since the Legion of Boom. Fred Warner, rookie contract still. I know he just signed an extension, but this year he's still under the rookie contract. Uh, Nick Bosa, still on a rookie contract. During the Super Bowl run two years ago, DeForest Buckner, all pro, rookie contract. Uh, Rick Armstead, pro bowler, rookie contract. They were able to sign Richard Sherman with the cap space they had available. Drafted George Kittle, pro bowler slash future Hall of Famer potentially. He was drafted and he's been on a rookie contract ever since. The Cowboys have gotten great players and they were really great when Dak, Zeke, and Amari Cooper were making $14 million a year. Now that they're all making $70 million a year and Demarcus Lawrence is making $20 million a year, they went to what, I think eight and eight in 2020, 2019, eight and eight. And last year when Dak broke his ankle, they went six and 10, I think, which again, without a quarterback that's going to happen sometimes when you don't have your franchise quarterback. So to that point, the Cowboys need cap space. That's probably going to come from moving Zeke Elliott and moving Demarcus Lawrence, but then they're going to have to pay. Yeah. Leighton Vander Esch at some point that, that core yeah. of young talented players combined with stars that are on bigger contracts, then you can actually sign more players in free agency or trade for a Von Miller or do things like that. Well, isn't that the big problem and the big debate we're having about signing Dak Press got to the contract he got signed to in the first place. The fact that while Dak is good, he's not as good as some of the other quarterbacks that are getting paid equivalent contracts. And down the road, when it came time to pay some of these other guys, you weren't going to be able to keep them around. You weren't going to be able to keep the best offensive line in football. You weren't able to keep some of these offensive playmakers like Amari probably in a year or two. The fact that you were just going to have to lose talent at other spots on the roster to appease the fact that you had a quarterback and is that quarterback a true difference maker in the NFL? Is he Josh Allen? Is he Patrick Mahomes? Or is he, as you mentioned, Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo? I would say when you say we were having that conversation, I think a lot of people who cover the Dallas Cowboys with more intent than I, aka First Take, Sports Center, Undisputed, name any show that drives ratings from the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, they were having a lot of Dak Prescott conversations. I think the questions were fair, but I think they were more fair about Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper than they were, especially Ezekiel Elliott. But they were more true about those guys than they were about Dak Prescott. Because yes, Dak Prescott is making making $40 million, but you kind of have to do that because they lucked into Dak Prescott. Jerry Jones wanted to trade up to get Paxton Lynch and then wanted to trade up to get Connor Cook, but the Raiders took him one pick early. So the Dallas Cowboys lucked into Dak Prescott and they're not going to be able to find another Dak Prescott. They just don't come available for all you're losing is cap space. Because usually to get another Dak Prescott, whether it's Russell Wilson in a trade, whether it's Aaron Rodgers in a trade, you have to give up cap space and you have to give up draft picks to make it happen. So the Dallas Cowboys were going to have to try and do the draft lottery of trying to find another Dak Prescott. So I think they were right to extend Dak Prescott. The other guys are things that you could start to question. And honestly, yes, Amari Cooper's making $100 million. It was the right move to get Amari Cooper and then to draft CD. It makes their offense totally unstoppable. They could interchange the running back board. It's pretty clear now. Like Jerry decided when we said, you can probably only keep two out of the three between Dak, Zeke, and Amari and still field a competitive roster. When Jerry extended 
extended all three, we weren't sure which one it was going to be. Uh, it turns out Zeke was the one that probably shouldn't have been extended. Just, you know, he's making a lot of money. Tony Pollard puts up not the same numbers, but comparable numbers. But the Cowboys issue is that they don't have flexibility within their roster. And teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, who can have as much as $40 million in cap space this offseason. The San Francisco 49ers, who if they move Jimmy G, can have $50 million in cap space this offseason. Teams like that are in better positions than the Dallas Cowboys because the Cowboys can be less flexible. They're more tied to their star players. And the reason they were able to get as good as they were is like you talked about, they hit on Micah Parsons. They hit on Trayvon Diggs. They hit on Leighton Vander Esch in the draft. They hit on CeeDee Lamb in the draft. They've nailed almost every single pick they've had at the top of the draft the last couple of years. And that's the reason they got back to where they were when Dak, Zeke, and Amari were still on rookie contracts. All of this to say, if I'm Sean Payton, I'd rather take the Cardinals job and consider the Chargers job, but I would take those jobs over the Cowboys job. I think that's completely fair. And if I was to rank them, I would probably put the Chargers ahead of the Cowboys because I trust Justin Herbert long-term more than I trust Kyler Murray long-term. Then I'd probably go with the Cowboys and bank more on their roster. Then I'd go with the Cardinals, which I think has the worst roster. And I'm still unsure about Kyler. I know that he's a guy you've definitely bought into. And I, I can understand why you would. There's a lot of things to like about Kyler Murray, but the last two seasons definitely concern me. I, I, I just look at the late season collapses and I don't know if having the right coach would fix all of that. If it's strictly a Cliff Kingsbury issue, but I would be hesitant to accept that job if I'm Sean Payton, as opposed to the other two jobs we're talking about. I might even be more tempted to take, dare I say, Jacksonville and see what I got in Trevor Lawrence, then go to Arizona, because at least with Jacksonville, there's the possibility of having a truly generational talent at quarterback that might just be marred by the worst franchise in professional sports, possibly in the Jacksonville Jaguars. While we're having this kind of fantasy discussion, though, let's talk about some other fantasy discussions that are getting talked about. Aaron Rodgers played a game this past Saturday and lost to the San Francisco 49ers, which has brought upon a lot of speculation as to his future with his current organization, the Green Bay Packers. Now, on Pat McAfee's show, he said that he would not drag it into free agency, that the Packers would know prior to then what he wants to do with them long-term. So I will commend Aaron Rodgers on that one, actually. I think that's actually a more adult way of going about things than I've seen from Aaron Rodgers over the past two years since Jordan Love has been drafted. Obviously, we've had discussions on Aaron Rodgers. He's not my cup of tea, but I can understand why people gravitate towards him. And he is charismatic in some ways. He is obviously an elite talent. With that said, the team that has been most closely linked to Aaron Rodgers, the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos that have already had John Alway as part of their organization and ended up pulling over Peyton Manning in free agency are going after another late 30s quarterback with a Hall of Fame resume and Aaron Rodgers stepping into that division. We talked about how good Justin Herbert could be in the long term. We know how good Patrick Mahomes is as you rock his jersey. How would Aaron Rodgers do in the AFC West? You know, what's kind of funny. I just connected the dots real quick here is um, the fact that when we were talking about the Sean Payton situation, what were the things that all the teams we threw out had in common? The Jaguars, the Cowboys, the Cardinals, and the Chargers. What do all those teams have in common besides possibly 
terribly franchise quarterbacks. They all have inept ownership. All of them have terrible owners all across the board. Uh, I saw that Michael Bidwell personally took away the playoff game checks of the coaches on that team, which is an absolute abomination that that would be allowed to have happen. That is a terrible job by Michael Bidwell in the Cardinals. And all of that to say, Aaron Rodgers seems to have a theme of wanting to go to teams with no owners because the Packers have no owner. They are publicly owned. They have a CEO. Denver Broncos have no owner right now. John Elway is basically the owner of the Broncos. If you've read this story right now, it's really incredible where the owner dies. Part of the family wants to sell the team. Part of the family wants to keep it in the family at this point. And no one's really a trusty person at this point. So they trust John Elway to basically make decisions for the team at this point. So John Elway is basically the owner of the Broncos at this point. That would be an absolute tire fire if Aaron Rodgers went to the Denver Broncos. They'd win a lot of games, but it would be just absolute chaos. Where would you like to see? Where would I like to see Aaron Rodgers? Oh, okay. So this is something I've thought about recently. I don't care at all about the Aaron Rodgers, where he's going to go situation. It'll only be fascinating to me once he actually chooses the team. Because the answer is Aaron Rodgers is going to go where Aaron Rodgers wants to go. He has a no trade clause. There's about 24 teams in the NFL that would trade for Aaron Rodgers right now. It's going to be wherever Aaron Rodgers wants to go. I would also say to your point about Aaron Rodgers making a mature decision to to let the Packers know by free agency, it's not all in good faith from Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers also knows his value is the highest before teams start filling roles at the quarterback position, which is exactly what happened last year when they may or may not have tried to work out a trade to the 49ers for Jimmy Garoppolo and the number three pick in the draft is that the Niners were already sold on we're going to take a rookie quarterback instead of going for the Aaron Rodgers route. I think the 49ers would probably trade their quarterback situation for Aaron Rodgers though right now just based on how everything's going. But to the point with your question, where would I like to see Aaron Rodgers go? So ideally we could pin him with an elite coach. I mean, the Rams would be fun. Aaron Rodgers on the Rams would be great. That would be so much fun. But realistically, let's talk about teams that don't have franchise quarterbacks at this point. So who are the best teams that we think don't have one of the nine quarterbacks we listed in the previous segment? It's the Niners, of course, which I think there's some plausibility to it, but the Niners don't have any draft picks. So probably not super likely, especially if they make a deep playoff run. My thing on that one is if I'm the Packers, I'm not trading him to the Niners who just beat me in the playoffs. This is the classic um, Greg Popovich situation, which is the Packers have a responsibility to get the best offer they possibly can for Aaron Rodgers because you need to set yourself up better in the long run. I would just say that that's as close as you can get with rivals in the conference that aren't actually in the same division. The Niners and Packers, obviously they match up four times in the playoffs over the last 10 years. I think they're the biggest rivalry we currently have in the NFC between two franchises. The reason I do the Popovich one is because we've seen this Greg Popovich refused to trade Kawhi Leonard to the Lakers when Kawhi Leonard demanded a trade because Lakers and Spurs were sworn enemies 15 years ago even though they have no geographic connection to rivalry. Traded him to Toronto they got back to Marta Rosen and Jakob Pertl and a pick that I think became like Lonnie Walker. Um, so they took less to send Kawhi Leonard not to the Lakers and now the San Antonio Spurs are crap because they took less to send Kawhi Leonard to somewhere that wasn't the Lakers. The Pack have a responsibility to get the best they can at that point. So Niners are the best team without a quarterback. The Titans were a great team without a quarterback this year. I think the Titans make more sense for Russell Wilson than Aaron Rodgers, but that's about as Southie as you can get outside of Jacksonville. If you're Aaron Rodgers, Patriots, 
Patriots would be great for Aaron Rodgers. I would want to see that. You know, that's a fun thing to think about. You mentioned a possibility there with Jacksonville. Aaron Rodgers, Trevor Lawrence today, just straight up. Does that make sense for both franchises? I'm keeping Trevor Lawrence in that respect, but that's just because I'm enamored with the unknown in that situation. Like the, the, the Jaguars are not ready to win. I would keep Trevor Lawrence only because of the age thing is that if, if Trevor Lawrence does end up being great, and if you're picking any quarterback in the NFL right now, who's not an elite quarterback, that's going to be an elite quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is probably your pick. I'd ride it out with Trevor Lawrence just because I would not ride it out with Mac Jones though. I would, I would most certainly cut Mac Jones tomorrow if you told me I could have Aaron Rodgers for even two years because Mac Jones ain't it. Sorry, Mac Jones. Who you else? The floor and Shanahan, they love that type of quarterback though. Obviously Shanahan was tempted to draft <laughs> Mac Jones. Would that actually be a perfect trade partner? Mac Jones, Aaron Rodgers, send me a couple more things, Bill, and we're okay here. I thought they wanted Jordan Love. Like I, was, I thought the whole point of this was Jordan Love is going to be your quarterback now. Like I, I, I don't understand what the plan is. I think they've given up. <laughs> I think they've given, I've talked to multiple Packers fans over this over the last week after the loss, and they've all pretty much told me they've given up on Jordan Love. And well, because Jordan Love will never be as good as what Aaron Rodgers has been the last two years, and that's fine. He was never going to work out that long. I know. I, I think it's they've seen enough from the games he has played. Uh, granted, he's only played a couple games this season to play the preseason games. I guess he didn't impress anyone. He didn't impress anyone on the Packers staff last season as he couldn't even pass Tim Boyle on the depth chart. <laughs> I mean, going to say Jordan Love is just mobile Mac Jones at this point. That's what I'm going to call him. So sure, you could do that if you want. Who else are good teams that don't have quarterbacks? Uh, Pittsburgh is the one that's getting connected to him the most. You have a Hall of Fame head coach there. You do have Claypool. Maybe you could convince Juju to come back. Uh, Deontay Johnson's fantastic. Najee Harris. You have a good defense. You would just be entering the AFC. And I think this is a big part of it. In the NFC, he's kind of the big dog for quarterback because the quarterback talent at the NFC is not even close to the quarterback talent in the AFC. We talk about him going to the Broncos, playing in the same division over the next three seasons, five seasons, however long he's there with Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, and maybe Derek Carr surprises you a game or two. That is not a great formula for consistently making the playoffs, consistently gaining the number one seed, being able to win a championship, because you're always going to be in these dog fights week in and week out, and the other teams around you just don't lose, or at least good for 10 wins. I know the Chargers obviously weren't a playoff team this year, and we'll see what happens with their head coaching situation, as we talked about in the previous segment with Sean Payton. But it could be filled with landmines, your schedule, if you go to that spot. When it comes to going to the Pittsburgh Steelers... You have Lamar and you have Joe Burrow. So you do have some games in there that do potentially pose some issues. You're not scared of Cleveland because they don't even know what they're doing at the quarterback situation. You could throw Cleveland in here. The problem is I don't think that Aaron Rodgers would go to Cleveland willingly. No, no, he wouldn't. But I also don't think Aaron Rodgers thinks the way that you're thinking right now. I don't think Aaron Rodgers cares who his opponents in the division are. I mean, it it certainly makes an impact. It should matter. If I was making this decision, I would lump it into where I could consistently win because he's in legacy building mode. He almost needs that second championship. That's what it's coming down to for Aaron Rodgers. He's trying to validate himself because 
he's just been lumped into this class of a playoff choker, kind of like Peyton Manning was at the later part of his career, that he's just trying to get over that with at least one championship situation. I, I think that that is a big part of this discussion for him. But there is no roster better than the Green Bay Packers, and there will be no roster better than the Green Bay Packers. So it leads me to conclude that I don't know Aaron Rodgers at all. I don't know anything other than jokes about the internet calling him Throw Rogan and Breitbart Star, which again, great jokes on the internet, but I don't know anything about Aaron Rodgers personally. So I can only assume by the decisions that he's made that Aaron Rodgers does not entirely care about winning in football. And that's totally fine. I pass no judgment for that. If I'm in my forties and I'm the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football before Patrick Mahomes, like whatever, you know, I'll, I'll play out the rest of my career. I'll have fun. Yeah. Winning would be nice, but it's not the most important thing in the world right now. I can single-handedly, if I'm still the quarterback, I am get a team in a position to win. But if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I think this is more of how do I want to spend the next three years of my life? Mm -hmm. and have say about who I play with and see if maybe if I'm a shadow general manager that I can win a championship or I can build a better team than what the Packers are doing or whatever Aaron Rodgers priorities are. I don't think he cares that much about who he plays along the way because he's Aaron freaking Rodgers and he should be able to, I mean, he not should be able to, he's proven time and time again, he can beat any of the teams that he goes up against. It's the same thing as the argument I make with the Chiefs is like, yeah, they have to play the Chargers and they have to play the Raiders for the next five years, but they're the Kansas City Chiefs. Like they have the greatest offensive coach in the history of football and the greatest quarterback. So it's pretty hard to compete with that. They'll beat anyone they play. True. But you would say his record has been padded at least over the last couple of years by playing in the NFC North and facing those hapless teams. So it should be a part of it. It should be something that you at least consider because I do think that legacy is a big part of this equation. And I think Aaron Rodgers is so calculating that he's thinking about every possible scenario, about every possible landing spot. And saying that he doesn't want to stay in Green Bay, I think it's just more so the optics of seeding to Green Bay and my way or the highway when it comes to Green Bay, that I think that he's been there too long. It's it just time for some change. He's going to find the next best spot. If he can't find that exact roster that he has in Green Bay, he's going to find that next best spot. That's not Cleveland because... Yeah, sorry, no, sorry, of course sorry, not. Drew, just not Cleveland. Even though Cleveland would make sense from a football standpoint, not Cleveland. Pittsburgh's going to be great. Denver's not going to be great. Denver, Denver's going to be okay. Not. You get Corbin no, Sutton, you get Jerry Judy, you got a decent running game and enough on defense. But I think the changes at head coach and general manager and owner are, like you mentioned, very concerning. I guess if we're going to power rank this, I'd probably put Pittsburgh as the number one spot he can go. You agree with me on that? The Rams would be number one for me, but I don't think the Rams would do that. <laughs> I, you know, I kind of hate that he did end up there only from this aspect. And as much as I would hate it, obviously head to head in the division each and every year, I hate it because I predicted he would end up there. I, I thought that that was going to be the move before Matthew Stafford ended up getting traded there. Burn my prediction. I would also say the Raiders are one that I threw in there. So if not Denver, the Raiders were one that made a lot of sense to me. I think the flashiness, the access to the media, the glamour of Las Vegas all sound like very appealing things. And at the time too, I thought it was going to work even better 
when John Gruden was there, I thought that that would have made sense from a coaching to quarterback standpoint, if he would have went there at that time, not knowing what their head coaching situation is also concerning. But again, if they go flashy here and they get Jim Harbaugh, I <laughs> like that. I kind of like that. Give me Jim Harbaugh and Aaron Rodgers in the same locker room. I think that that could be a very fun headlines driven team. You really believe Raiders. in your boy Harbaugh. You really believe in your boy I Harbaugh. I believe in Jim Harbaugh. I believe that he goes to the Raiders they're contending year in year out I'm not saying that they're winning Super Bowls I'm not saying they're in the AFC championship game year in year out I'm saying that they're contending they're not an easy out they're gonna be a team that will bite kneecaps bite ankles bite your face off if Jordan Love can't beat out Derek Carr that's gonna be so sad if that's if that's what ends up happening there (laughs) Matt Campbell is budget Jim Harbaugh (laughs) I like that I like that Matt Matt Campbell Campbell. Dan Campbell Either way. Oh, I thought you were talking about the coach at Iowa State. That would be even more accurate, I think. I think Matt Campbell being, he's got three ring binders. We're pulling up to games. I think that, pish, yeah. Pish posh, all the same thing. Either Matt way, Campbell Jim also Harbaugh. turned down or $59 million from the Lions. So shout out to Matt Campbell as well for rotting away with seven and five Iowa State. Congratulations on that. Okay, so we're saying similar things to what a lot of experts and pundits are saying that the Steelers, the Raiders. Oh, I don't know. I disagree. Broncos. With the Steelers one, you I don't like the Steelers. The Steelers okay, one. well, where is your favorite for him besides the Rams, which we know is obvious fiction? 49ers, but that one's difficult as well. Um, that one, I, like I said, the rivalry aspect is part of this. I do think that there is also, would we trade Jimmy back to them? Would we trade Trey back to them? Do we keep Trey? Is he okay with Trey, but he hated Jordan Love? What is Aaron Rodgers thinking if he decides to accept the trade? I think the Niners are down. I think they're obviously open to the idea because they try to trade for him last <laughs> Niners year. Niners are DTF. The they DTF. are DTF. <laughs> is it DTT? Down to trade? Down to fling? How about that? Down to fling? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The Niners are DTF with Aaron Rodgers. That That's what's going on. I think that they're going to get cock blocked by Brian Gutekunst. And, uh, <laughs> that's funny <laughs> little goody i believe is also one of his nicknames i think they're gonna get blocked yeah. in that one one of the things that you thought was interesting is the optics of the situation with rogers because the last year would suggest aaron Rodgers cares less about the optics of his situation than ever before because aaron Rodgers was always the i mean he treaded the line sometimes but aaron Rodgers was in this transition between peyton manning and tom brady being the faces of the league going to george bush's state of the union address yeah and the new generation of quarterbacks that are fun, flashy, and often not white. And I, so Aaron Rodgers was always kind of the corporate guy for I, a while. I think if he and, stays with the Packers, it makes him look weak. I think that's what I mean with the optics of it, because he made all this noise and yet he's still staying in the same place. I think it almost makes him look weak. And Aaron Rodgers likes the power. He likes to have hand in the situation. That's why I just don't see him sticking around because it would make him look weak and all so petty. I think if Aaron Rodgers came back to the Packers and then said, I evaluated my options and I decided that this made the best football sense for me. And so I decided to run it back with my boys. I would respect that. But the thing I, I respect whatever Aaron Rodgers does, because ultimately, who am I to tell Aaron Rodgers what his priorities are at this point? If he doesn't want to, you're kind of you know, better. Give yourself some credit, man. Come on. You're kind of yeah, better. 
but I'm also not a person who should judge anyone's decisions in these situations. Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback Kyle, to ever pick up. I've a already named you the moral arbiter of the world. Just accept your title and tell Aaron Rodgers what he should do or shouldn't. Okay, let's see. Um, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, and again, I don't know this is what Aaron Rodgers wants, but if Aaron Rodgers wants to transition from being the greatest quarterback in the history of football and use that platform to become a voice for libertarian politics in America and honestly become the voice of libertarian politics in America, then football is kind of just a nice little thing that's along the side. And maybe he wants to be a GM. I thought that was always the reason for Aaron Rodgers was that he wanted more say in decision-making. And we talked about LeBron earlier. LeBron's been the shadow GM of the Lakers and Cavs for the past eight years. So Aaron Rodgers would get that level of power if the team was willing to cede that to him. And maybe that's a requirement for trading for him in the first place. But at the same time, maybe no team is willing to sign up for that. Or if they're signing up for that, they're compromising a lot on their part. And in all honesty, they're probably not a well-run team if they're willing to sign up for that, because maybe Aaron Rodgers is better than this than people who are overly qualified to navigate salary cap space or maybe Aaron Rodgers just wants to be able to go to his general manager and say, can you get me that guy? And they'll be like, sure, we'll get you that guy. Like maybe he just wants people to say yes more often, uh, which is again, a whole psychology of whether or not Aaron Rodgers has a lot of yes men surrounding him. When you hear his political leanings and connections to Joe Rogan, it seems like there's not a lot of people putting things in front of him that push against the things that he believes. And this is a conversation that, again, I don't know Aaron Rodgers personally, so it's hard to do that evaluation. But all of that leads me to say, like, no question, if we're talking about the Broncos, the Steelers, the Raiders, the Saints, who now don't have Sean Payton, so they're probably out of the game here. Like, none of those make more football sense than the Green Bay Packers. Like none of them make more football sense than the Packers, but Aaron Rodgers may want to have more power as the back end of his career, similar to what Tom Brady did. Like the Buccaneers lucked their way into a championship last year. I thought that they were not as good as the Saints or the Packers last season, and yet they ended up winning the championship. Whether that's Tom Brady magic or whatever is fine, but Tom Brady probably shouldn't have won a championship with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like we were all stunned that Tom Brady won a championship with the Buccaneers and it's, you know, whatever it's. Tom Brady magic. There's a good chance Aaron Rodgers doesn't win a championship wherever he goes, even if it's with the Packers, because as great as Aaron Rodgers is, Mahomes and Josh Allen have come for his shit and they have probably taken it from him at this point. And it's also very cold in Green Bay in January. And all of that to say, I don't think there's anywhere Aaron Rodgers can go that guarantees him a championship, but the best place to do that would be Green Bay. And (laughs) Aaron Rodgers is not gonna do that I, again like i'm not enthralled by the process of figuring out where it is because i don't even think aaron Rodgers knows what he's gonna do at this point and that's the part that's really difficult to figure out well when we do get that final verdict on where aaron Rodgers is going whether he's staying you know we'll be happy to talk it here on this podcast <laughs> but Kyle Ledbetter mentioned the name Tom Brady and like saying Candyman into a mirror three times, mentioning Tom Brady on a <laughs> podcast deserves a response. And the question simply is, is TB12 or TB on the shelf? See, it rhymes, you son of a bitch. You made me have to come up with a rhyme this afternoon because you were not enthralled with TB12 or TB done or TB12 and TB gone. So TB12 or TB on the shelf, cap or fact, is Tom Brady retiring this offseason? Uh, no. 
the one thing I will just say is the way he was talking, it makes you wonder. It really makes you wonder some of the things he was saying about being there for his kids or being there for his wife. I didn't believe it, especially coming off that game. But if anything was going to make me believe it, it was just the type of words that he was using, the type of language that he was speaking, the manner he was speaking in that made me wonder, is this it? I'm going to buy into the drama this offseason oh, up until no. Tom Brady tells me if he's no, done or if he's You're buying going. into the propaganda. I'm buying into it. I'm buying into it because I can't buy into his clothing brand because it's too expensive. I can't buy into TB12 because it costs $100,000. So always buy into the Tom Brady offseason drama. No, don't believe the Tom Brady propaganda in an article that was the only reason this is a thing because an article that was very clearly leaked by Tom Brady was put out right before the game saying this could be it if they win the Super Bowl. And then he said on his podcast about being there for his wife and kids here. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening here, this is something we do on the Take It Easy podcast. This is, There's a drinking game where every time I say, I have read the Seth Wickersham book about Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and Robert Kraft, you need to take a shot. So go grab whatever drink of choice and take a shot. I have read this book. Tom Brady came to this realization eight years ago when Giselle wrote him a letter that said that I am putting my life on hold for your career and you need to be more present with our family. And they had a real heart to heart. And that was when with the Patriots, Tom Brady started skipping voluntary OTAs. And Tom Brady has never been back to voluntary OTAs since that happened because Tom Brady needs the extra time to commit to his family in order to keep his marriage together. And this is the trade-off that a lot of people do. You, you give away certain things in order to, to trade off for other things. Tom Brady trades off extra work at football in exchange for being present with his family. He's been doing this every year for eight years, which is every year he has the conversation with his wife and his kids about being there during the off season, being more present. And during football season, that's his love. Cause Tom Brady loves football more than anything in the world. Like it's very clear that Tom Brady loves football way more than he loves his wife and children. Like the fact that he's willing to keep doing this and but he doesn't want to sacrifice them. He loves football a lot, but he doesn't love football enough to sacrifice everything that he's built with his wife and kids. He's done this every offseason for seven or eight years now. And Tom Brady is still going to play next year. He's probably going to play the year after that. He's going to try and go out with a championship, even though the Bucks roster is only going to get worse this offseason than it did this year because there were 30 million over the salary cap. And Chris Godwin is coming off of torn ACL and a franchise tag. So he'll go sign somewhere else. Tampa Bay going to try their best, but Tom Brady's going to be back. He'll be back the year after. And that'll be it because Tom Brady will probably not play for a team that can stay together long enough to keep Tom Brady healthy. So you're saying the San Francisco 49ers won't make a one-for-one trade of Jimmy Garoppolo to the Tampa Bay Bucks and have Trey Lance sit behind Tom Brady for a year? They would do it if they could, but Tampa Bay wouldn't do that. I, I heard that on a show today and it was like, you know, I could see it happening, but no, I think it's Kyle Trask time in Tampa Bay, clearly. Did you not hear that podcast? Did you not hear the fervor in his voice that suggested he's out as he spoke as old man Brady. I'm going to retire. I'm going to head out on top coming down from 27 to three, 27 <laughs> to three. I want to come back from 28 to three. No, no. Let me tell you about my perfect situation going into this offseason. If in an alternate universe where Tom Brady decides that he values his wife and children more than football in an alternate uh, multiverse where Tom Brady has decided that he wants to value his wife and children more than football, Tom Brady retires. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are scrambling. They need something to keep this window alive while they have a chance. 
and they overpay a ridiculously large amount for the Carson Wentz experience. That is my perfect end scenario for this entire situation. Madness, I say. Madness, I say. Carson Wentz or Kyle Trask, decisions, decisions out there in Tampa Bay. Okay, guys. That was, <laughs> a, little longer, that was a little longer than I was expecting to go, but I'm happy you stayed along with us for the ride. We have some outstanding game previews that I want to recommend before we close out on this. Uh, go ahead and subscribe to our channel if you want to see that. Hit that bell icon. At Slumpbuster Podcast on IG. At Slumpbuster Podcast on Twitter. Like this video, comment below your thoughts on the show. Leave a five-star review if you're listening on Apple iTunes or how. Give it a leave a five-star review if you're listening on Spotify. They're doing that now. So go ahead and drop that review uh, from Judy Tag Sports. Kyle better stay safe, happy, and healthy, and enjoy championship weekend as we're two weeks away from the Super Bowl, folks. We will see you next time.